0: Amen. Well, how's everybody? All right, come on, one person. I love it. Um, well, hey, my name is Josh Story, and I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. Um, it is always a pleasure uh, to be able to just kind of come hang out with you guys and um, and open the Word. So we're going to be hanging out in Luke 7 tonight. If you want to go ahead and turn there, um, but while you're turning there, uh, also there's there's Bibles in the seat back in front of you if you don't have. A Bible, um, or if you don't have a Bible at all, go ahead and take that home, that, that's our gift to you. So, um, But as you're turning there, I want to kind of set the stage for where we're going uh, tonight. Um, as I get older, I find that there are uh, certain things in life that, that we kind of assume that we understand the purpose of, but in reality, severely misinterpret what it's actually for. Um, so th- there are certain things that, that we see and think, okay, I know what that is, I know how that, that works, I know why that exists. But in reality, somewhere along the way, we've missed what the purpose of that thing actually is. And so uh, let me give you an illustration of this. Um, One night, uh, I went to this really fancy sushi place with a friend of mine. And uh, and so we're sitting there and and we order. um, And as we're sitting there waiting for our food, uh, our, our waiter brings us each a hot towel. Um, now, I'm not an expert on Japanese culture at all. Um, the extent of my Japanese culturing is uh, watching Three Ninjas when I was a kid um, and uh, eating a lot of sushi. Um, which, side note, Three Ninjas is like the most epic film of all time. So if you have no clue what I'm talking about, Netflix, the crap out of that because it's incredible. But um, but I eat a lot of sushi, right? And so, and so because of that, I'm, I'm aware that there is this Japanese uh, practice called Oshibori cultured, right? And so what oshibori uh, is is simply the waiter brings you a hot towel before your meal and you use that hot towel to clean your hands. It's a really fancy word for a really simple thing. Um, But because I eat a lot of sushi, I see this hot hot towel and I know that the purpose of this hot towel is to clean my hands. My buddy, who's not as cultured as I am, clearly, um, I look across the the table and he is, no no joke, laying back in his chair and he puts the towel on his face. (laughs) And he's sitting there with the hot towel draped, and he's going, ah. Oh. And everyone's like, what is this guy doing? And so I was like, bro, like, what, are you, what are you doing? And he's like, what do, you, what do you mean? I go, why is, why is the towel on your face? And he goes, it's cleaning my pores. <laughs> it's cleaning your pores. Yeah, yeah, I mean, hot towels, they, they open up your pores. It's good for your skin. Haven't you ever been to a spa before? And I was like, uh, no, but even if I haven't, like, we're in a sushi restaurant, bro. I go, that's, that's for your hands. That's to clean your hands. That's not to open up your pores. And he's like, no, trust me. It's for your pores. And I was like, no, trust me. You look like a moron. And it's for your hands. And he's like, I don't care how I look. My skin feels phenomenal. I was like, all right, cool. Do it. And so I allowed him to continue looking like a moron, just sitting there, just opening up his pores. Um, But the the reason that that happened is because he he thought that he understood the purpose of this hot towel, but he had severely misinterpreted what the actual purpose of this thing was. And and, and so we do this all across the board with so many different things. Um, For instance, for me, when I see a mason jar, um, I assume that the purpose of the mason jar is to drink things because it's a really cool looking cup right and and you drink things out of cups that's the purpose of a cup but if you go to pinterest i find that i've severely misinterpreted the purpose of a mason jar because according to the gospel of pinterest mason jars are for hanging candles from trees you know and stuff like that right um and, and and so we we do this with so many different things and and the, the reality is that we just We just kind of assume that we know why certain things work or or, or what the purpose of those things are, when in reality, somewhere along the way, we've been misinformed and we've missed the purpose of it completely. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because I think in our lives, we tend to do that a lot with the life and mission of Jesus. I think that we can look at the life of, of, of Jesus, specifically seeing, seeing him kind of come on the scene and doing incredible things and doing these really authoritative miracles. And, and especially if you've been in the church for a while and you've heard that story a lot, I think it's really easy for us to say, okay, cool, yeah, I know what that, that is. I know what that's for. And we just kind of assume that we know the purpose behind what Jesus came to do. When in reality, I think that somewhere along the way, for a lot of us, we, we, we may have missed it. And I I think that because I know that for me, I've been a church kid for a long time. And as I've been studying our text this week, I've realized that for years I've had the metaphorical towel over my face. And I've completely missed the purpose of why Jesus came and and did all these incredible authoritative things. And so, um, so you may have fallen in that same trap. I don't know. But my hope for tonight is really simple. My hope is that we can look at the life of Jesus, specifically at him doing some really crazy, really authoritative things, um, and we can leave knowing what the purpose of him coming and doing those things are, because he did come and do those things for a specific purpose. And I want us to all be informed as, as to what the purpose of his authority actually is, um, because there is a very specific purpose, and, and it may be different than what we kind of expect. And so um, with that being said, let's let's dive in. Um, Luke chapter 7, and, and also just on, on a side note, um, we're going to be in, in the whole chapter, and so we're going to see four different scenes that help us answer this question of you know, what's the purpose of Jesus' authority, what's the purpose of him coming and, and, and kind of flexing and doing all these incredible things, um, and so we're going to kind of go pretty, pretty quick through this chapter, but I would encourage you guys this week to kind of go back and read through, because there's just some incredible nuggets in here about Jesus, but let's look at this first scene um, in Luke Seven chapter, or verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and to the point of death, and he was highly valued. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. All right, so in scene one here, we see something very specific. We see that Jesus has authority over sickness. All right? And this is a crazy scene. All right? So we have this Roman centurion who is not a Jewish person. Um, and so typically Romans are kind of hated, but he, but he gets the Jewish um, elders, all, all this kind of varsity Jewish guys to, to to come and just kind of vouch for him and say, hey, we know this guy, we, we vouch for him, he's awesome, he loves us, we love him, and he has a servant who's on the brink of death, and we, we need you to come and heal him. And so Jesus starts going, and, and, and as he's getting close, he says, hey, like I'm not even like worthy for you to come into my house. That's why I didn't come. But but I know how authority works because I'm a man of authority too. And so when I tell people to do something, they do it. And so and so I know who you are and I know that your authority completely surpasses me. So all you have to do is say the word and he's healed. Will you just say the word? And, and, and there's probably like a whole sermon just on this man's faith, right? But I want to focus on what happens next because he hears him say this and, and he marvels at his faith, but then he heals him. And we've been in Luke for a while, so we've kind of seen him heal people. But he, like, wasn't even in the same room, right? Like, like that's authority. Like, Jesus is, is not even in the same zip code as this dude. And, and they go back and they find him, and he's completely healed. And that is authority, right? I mean, and we've seen authority, but, like, but just understanding the gravity that, that this is a guy who, who's, man, it doesn't even have to be in the same room, and he's healing people. Right, Unbelievable authority. And so we see, and what we see first is that he has the authority over sickness. But that, that honestly just scratches the surface of his authority. So let's look um, at scene 2 here in verse 11. Because things are about to get crazy. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went, went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother... And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the bier, and the bear stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, and fear seized them all, rightfully so. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Okay. Scene one, we see that he has authority over sickness. Scene two, we see that he has authority over death. And this is a crazy scene, too, right? If scene one wasn't crazy enough, this is unbelievable. Because he's just kind of walking and doing his thing and stumbles upon a funeral procession. And he sees this widow, and so she doesn't have a husband, and now she's about to bury her son. And so um, she is destitute because her only way of providing for herself is through either her husband or her son, and they're both gone. And so he sees her, and I mean, this is just a really tragic situation, and he has compassion on her. And he walks up to her and he says, hey, don't weep, which if you don't know what's about to happen is a really insensitive statement. Right? Like, you know, like no one goes up to a grieving mother and says, hey, stop that. Just stop crying. Like that's really insensitive, right? But but he he sees her and he has compassion and says, hey, don't weep. And then he walks over to what's called the beer, not not like beer, but like beer. And it's a, a, a plank where this guy is just like laying there. And he walks over to it and he touches the plank and he says to this dead guy, hey, get up. And he does it. Think about that for a second, right? He walks up to a dead guy says, hey, get up. And the dead guy gets up and starts talking, right? Like, and it says that fear sees them all, which is the appropriate response when the dead guy starts walking around. But, like, I mean, and everyone's like, who is this guy? I mean, like, he's raising people from the dead. Like, what kind of authority is this? And, and, and I think sometimes that this kind of stuff, we... We kind of miss the gravity of it because today, like, we can, like, medically, like, raise the person from the dead, right? Like, if you're, you know, passed out, it's, like, clear, you know, and you're, like, oh, I'm, I'm here. Um, but, like, that's not what's happening here, right? Like, we have this guy who's not been, like, my heart stopped for six seconds and they shocked me back to life. Like, he's been dead for a while and he just says, hey, hop up, bro, and he just gets up and he does it, right? I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, this is a next level kind of authority, And it says that the word spread throughout all of Judea. And so everyone's talking about, everyone's saying, man, who is this guy? Yeah, he's like healing people who are sick. He's not even in the same room. Dead people are walking around. Like, this is stupid. Like, who is this guy? And so so everyone's trying to figure out, man, who is this guy who has such authority? And that's a really important question to answer. But sometimes the answer to that question isn't necessarily what we want to hear. And that's what brings us to scene three. and We're about to see John the Baptist essentially ask this question of saying, man, who is this guy? And so it heads up, it's about to get pretty heavy. Look at verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That's a really heavy question. Let me kind of explain what's going on here. Um, John the Baptist is sitting in prison. And Matthew 14 tells us that the reason he was in prison is because King Herod was sleeping with his brother's wife. And John was like, hey, bro, that's not cool. And apparently you you don't tell the king that. And so he's like, all right, screw you, you're going in the dungeon. And so he he takes him and he sticks him in the prison. He wanted to kill him, but he he was afraid that there was going to be a riot. And so he sticks him in the prison. And so John wakes up and he finds himself there. And he's really confused as to how he ended up there. Because John's not a normal guy. Okay, Um, in case you don't know who John is, John is um, a dude who, from the foundation of the earth, was chosen to be the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. Okay, so in Isaiah it says that that there's a person in the the wilderness who's who's preparing a way, calling out, and that's John. John's entire job is to stand and proclaim, "Hey, the Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is at hand, and everybody get ready because it's about to go down." Right? Like, like this is what John's job is, and on top, top of that, John's the cousin of Jesus, right? So he has this crazy insider information that, that this is about to happen, right? That but Jesus is the Messiah. He's the person that people have been waiting for for hundreds of years with eager anticipation. He is the Messiah, and he is here. And that's exciting because the, the predominant view of the Jewish people is that when the Messiah came, the Messiah was going to be this political ruler, this political king who had unparalleled authority, and his job was to come, and he was going to overthrow Rome, and he was going to restore the kingdom back to Israel. And he was going to rule with justice and righteousness. And he was going to be this phenomenal king. And everybody had been waiting because Rome was just oppressing them, and they were tyrannical. And they're like, man, as soon as this guy shows up, everything's going to be awesome. Because he's going to overthrow Rome, and he's going to rule, and it's going to be great. So imagine if you're John the Baptist and I mean, you're super stoked because, like, you're on the inside, right? Like, like, like you're the herald of the Messiah coming. And so it's, so it's hard to picture a scenario, if that's the case, where John the Baptist doesn't end up with some swanky job in the palace. Because guys like John don't end up in the dungeon, they end up in the palace. Yet he finds himself in the dungeon and he's thinking, did I miss something? Like, my understanding is that you're going to come, you're you going to overthrow Rome. But Rome's definitely still in power, and I'm in chains. What's going on here? Did I I miss something? And so he sends his boys to Jesus to say, hey, I got to know, man. (laughs) Things are not playing out the way I thought they would. Are you the one? Are you the one who's to come, or should I look for another? Because this isn't what I thought it would be. And I don't know about you, but I love that John has the guts to ask that question it gives me a lot of hope personally because this is kind of how i tend to think right? when when things don't go down the way that i expect them to i, I find myself in a place where i just kind of say hey are you the one or should i expect someone else because this isn't really how i saw things going down when i was a senior in college i lost my father just kind of out of the blue and, and i found myself thinking man jesus i've, I've read the stories I know that you have authority and, and I've seen your authority. I know that you healed people, yet my dad died. But I missed something. Like, are you really the one or should I look for someone else? And then maybe you've been in the same spot where, and maybe you got sick or someone you knew got sick and you thought, man, I, I, I know that you have all, all this authority and I'm seeing it go down, but, but like, I'm not feeling that and, and things haven't changed. Like, are you the one? Maybe it's not even that, maybe it's like a relationship and, and somewhere along the way you've you've broken some relationship or the, the person that you were convinced was the one said, hey, I'm not. And, and, and so you're kind of in this place you're like, man, this relationship has been broken and, and I see you and, and, and I know that you have the authority to restore and make things right, but, but this is broken and nothing's changing and this isn't how I thought it was going down and I have to know, are you the one or should I look for somebody else? And that's such a natural question for us to ask, and I'm so glad that, that John has the guts to ask it. Because sometimes I feel like I like I can't ask that. And so John says, "Hey, like I see you doing all these authoritative things. I see you flexing. But I'm I'm a chains in the no flex zone too. By the way, um, this was a white crowd. I'm I'm sorry. Um, thanks, man. Uh, sorry, that was stupid." Um, but John's sitting there and he's thinking, man, this is not how I saw things going down. And so he, and so he asks him, he says, hey, like, are you the one or should I look for somebody else? And, and, and I think that way. But, but the reason that I think this way and, and the reason that John thought this way is because somewhere along the way I've, I know that for me, I've, I've misinterpreted the purpose of Jesus and his authority and, and him doing all these miracles. Because the reality is, is that the purpose of Jesus' authority is not to make my life easier. The purpose of his authority is not to bail me out of difficult circumstances. The purpose of his authority isn't to, to, to give me a life that's free of pain or free of heartache or free of trouble. That, that's never what he's promised. But when I think that it is, I find myself saying, hey, like, this isn't what I thought it would be. Like, are you the one? But there is a very specific reason um, behind his purpose, or, or there's a very specific purpose behind his authority. And he's about to answer this question for John. Look at verse 21. In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The deaf are raised. Or the dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is simultaneously. Simultaneously. The thing that John wanted to know and the thing that he didn't want to hear. Because so Let me explain what's going on here. When he sends his boys and says, hey, I see your authority. I see you doing all these crazy things, but but Rome hasn't been overthrown. I don't know what the purpose of your authority is if it's not to overthrow Rome. And so you have to explain to me, are you the one or is there someone else? What Jesus does is he begins to list characteristics of the Messiah that Isaiah talks about. So let me show you something on the screen. Isaiah 29, 18 says this. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Okay, Isaiah 32 says says this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. All right, stop right there for a second. So what he's doing is he says, hey, are you the one or is there someone else? And so what Jesus does, he says, hey, tell them that the deaf hear. Tell him that the blind see. Tell him that the lame walk. Tell him all these things. And so, what he's doing is, is John knows the scriptures. John knows what Isaiah said about the Messiah. And he's saying, Are you the Messiah? And he's saying, Yes, I am. And here's how you know. And so, he's confirming, Yes, I am the one who is to come. But there's another question behind what John is asking. And he's asking, Am I going to be okay? And there's something really brutal about this response, because look at Isaiah 42. There's a part of who the Messiah is that Jesus leaves out. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. And so imagine this for a second. John's sitting in prison, and he said, hey, what did he say? And they show up, and they say, hey, the deaf hear. Yes. The blind are seeing. Okay. The lame are walking. Okay. The mute are speaking. Okay. What else? That's it. No, no, there has to be more. Did, did he say anything about me? No. Did he say anything about a prisoner being set free? No. And if you know how the story ends, John never leaves prison. John actually gets his head cut off. It's a brutal way to go out. What does that mean? Like, like what is Jesus saying when when he says, hey, tell him these things, but he he doesn't ever say that you're going to be let out of prison. What he's saying behind all of this is this, I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the one who um, who is to come. Somewhere along the way, your interpretation of what the Messiah is coming to do has been misinformed. Somewhere along the way, you misunderstood the purpose of my authority. You've misunderstood the purpose of why I came to do what I'm doing. Because the reality is that, is that John was right in, in tying his authority to him being the Messiah. He just didn't understand why it was going down or, or what his authority was designed to do. Because Jesus didn't come and use his authority to, to conquer Rome. That wasn't the purpose of his authority. He did come to conquer something, but it wasn't Rome. It was something very specific. But it still forces us to answer the, or to ask the question, man... What's the purpose of Jesus' authority? And we're going to see the answer to that in scene four. Look at verse um, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, man, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a lot in this passage. But there's a question at the end that rings out that we can't ignore. Who is this? Who is this that even forgives sins? Because Jesus shows up in this woman who is a prostitute, she, she comes and she, and she falls at his feet and she just starts weeping. It says that, he, that she washes his feet with her tears. You have to cry a lot of tears to wash somebody's feet with him. So she is broken over her sin and she is just laying at, her, at his feet. And this Pharisee is like, man, I, I don't get what's going on here. If, if you knew, you wouldn't let her touch you. And so Jesus, being super logical, says, hey, man, let me ask you a question. You have two guys who owe money. One owes a little, one owes a lot. The guy that is owed the money cancels the debt of both. Now, which one of these guys is going to love him more? guess the one who owes a lot. Bingo. That's what's happening here. This woman walks in, and she understands the debt that I have the ability to cancel, and you don't. Because I walk in here, I mean, you you didn't kiss me, you didn't um, wash my feet, you didn't anoint me. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since the moment that she walked in here because she knows who I am. She knows the authority that I have because I have the authority to cancel her debt. Because this woman whose sins are many is forgiven. And then he bends down and he looks at her in the eyes and he says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And at that moment, everyone freaks out. And I say, who is this guy? What well, makes him believe that he has the authority to forgive sins? Because everybody in this room knows that only God can forgive sins. And so, and so at, at this point, no one has a problem with him healing the sick or, or, or raising the dead. But as soon as he starts mentioning and forgiving sins, everybody has a problem. Because only God has the authority to do that. And he says, exactly. Exactly. And so when it comes to the question, man, what is the purpose of Jesus' authority? It's to show that he has the ultimate authority to forgive sins. That all these external things that we see are all just a shadow of what he can do in forgiving sins. All of the miracles are all designed to point us to this idea that at the end of the day, if he has the authority to to heal the sick or to raise the dead, then he also has the authority to forgive sins. And this honestly isn't even a new concept. We've, We've seen this previously in Luke if you remember in Luke 5, um, there's this scene where um, these guys have a friend who's who's uh, crippled. And they want him to get healed, and so they, they can't get into this house. And so they climb on top of the roof, and they start digging a hole in the roof, which is really inconsiderate, but really epic too, right? And so they take him, and they drop him down. And when they lower him down, Jesus' first response is to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. And again, everyone freaks out. And they say, man, who is this guy who thinks that he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And then he asks him this question. He says, hey, what's, what's easier? To say that this guy's sins are forgiven or to tell him to get up and walk? And that question for a long time confused me. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, bro. Like that's, like, that makes no sense. But if you break it down, he, he's asking just a really simple, bottom-shelf, logical question. And so what he's asking is this. I said, hey, what's easier? For me to ask, the, or for me to f- tell this guy that his sins are forgiven, or for me to tell him to get up and walk. The easier thing is for me to tell him that his sins are forgiven. Because I don't have to prove that. Right? Like, that's internal. No one can see that. I, I don't need physical evidence that his sins are forgiven. So I can say that all day long and you'll never know if that actually happened or not. The harder thing is for me to look at this guy who can't walk and say, get up and walk. Because if I tell him to walk and he doesn't walk, Everyone in this room knows I'm a fraud. If I tell him to walk and he doesn't walk, everyone knows that I have no authority. I have no power. That's a hard thing because you can call me out on that. But I want you to know that I have the authority and I have the power to forgive sin. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the harder thing. I'm going to tell him to walk. And that's going to be an illustration to you that if I can do this, I can also do this. So get up. And he does it. And everyone freaks out. And so since the beginning, what, what these healings and these miracles and this authority is all designed to do is to illustrate to us, man, like these are just physical examples of what he can do in the heart. And so it's all designed not, not to just be entertaining or to show off or to um, kind of like bow up, but to say, hey, I want you to know that this is physical evidence that if I can do this, I can do what can't be seen. I can do the harder thing, which is to forgive the sins of a person. And that's the purpose of his authority is to show us that he has the ultimate authority to forgive sin. That's a game changer. And if we understand that and really believe that, man, that is so huge for us. And so as, as we close, l- l- let me kind of tell you why I think it's so important for us to know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And when I say no, I mean like, like tangibly in our minds, no that this is a truth, not some kind of theoretical concept, but that this is a reality. The reason this is so important for us is because we can't physically see or touch forgiveness, right? Like, I don't have some card that I can be like, oh yeah, I'm forgiven, like I got this when I got saved. Like, like we, we don't have any sort of like physical evidence of forgiveness, right? Like, I can't feel that, I can't see it, I can't touch it. But I can feel the weight of my shame. I can feel guilt. I can feel regret. I can feel the exhaustion of trying to hide my sin and cover it up so so no one knows how truly wicked I am. I I feel the weight of sin. And if I don't know and believe in those moments where my shame begins to just weigh on me, if I don't know that that sin has been forgiven... And I will buckle under the pressure of that sin. And I will cave every time. And so, the reason that Jesus has gone to great lengths to, to do all these miracles and to show off his authority is so he can say, Hey, I want you to know. Like Luke, Luke says that, he's, that he writes this book so that we have certainty. And he says, Man, I want you to know that this happened, that this was recorded, so you know that, that, that this guy who, who raises dead people who takes people who are dead and he physically raises them from the dead, I want you to know that he can do that in your heart, that he can take what's dead and he can raise it to life, that he has the authority to do that. And if I don't know that, if I don't know that and in turn believe that, then, man, whenever I fall into sin, whenever um, I'm, I'm attacked and I feel just the weight of my sin, the weight of my shame, the weight of my guilt, then I'm going to buckle under that. And I deeply want us to know that this is a reality. That he forgives sins. Because my fear is that there's some of us in here who who have bought the lie that we're too far gone. Because the beauty of this reality, that Christ forgives him, that he has the authority, is that too far gone doesn't exist. That there is no sin that is too big for the cross of Christ. And we see this in the way that he handles this woman. Like, I love that he doesn't sugarcoat her sin, right? He says, hey, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Like, like he doesn't beat around, around the bush. He says, yeah, man, you're jacked. You have a history. You have a past. You've fallen into some dark things. But you know what? It's okay because I have forgiven that. And I have the authority. So the last thing I want is for anybody in this room to buy the lie that you're the exception. The last thing I want is for anybody in this room to, to fall into the lie of thinking, man, like I've done that one thing that God can't forgive. I've crossed that one line. I've done that one thing. Man, I'm, I'm outside the realm of God's forgiveness because it's just not true. It's not true. We have a guy who not only has the authority to forgive sin, but he's willing. And he looks at this woman who's broken. He says, hey, his compassion on her says, hey, Go in peace. Your sins, they're, they're forgiven. It's not an ounce of him lording over her saying, oh, man, you really screwed it up. It says, no. She understands who I am, and I have the ability to pay this incredible debt. So here's how I want us to close tonight. I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to just spend some time just going before the Lord. Um. I have a feeling um, that in a room of this size, there are some of us um, who are falling into a couple of different places. My fear is that there's some of us, man, and you're, you're just hiding sin. Somewhere along the way, you, you got this idea in your head that, man, that in order to be here, you have to have it all together. And so you cover up stuff, and you've got some, some things that you're, that you're just kind of stuffing and, and hiding in the dark. Man, bring that to the light tonight. Because it's going to get exposed at one point or another. And it's going to be for your good. Man, but it's so much more joyful to, to bring it into the light, knowing that we're, that we're bringing our sin to a Savior. He says, hey, bring that to me. I have the authority to take care of that. I have the authority to forgive that. And so, man, if, if there's just some kind of hidden sin going on, man, bring it to, to the light. We have a savior who who wants to forgive you like it's already been paid. All of our guilt, all of our shame was nailed to the cross two thousand years ago. I want us to walk in light of that truth, walk in light of the freedom that comes through Christ's forgiveness. So man, so maybe there's some of us who are who are hiding, but maybe there's some others in here who man, you're not hiding, you're you're just running. And you've bought some lie that, man, like, I've, I'm, I'm too far gone. I've already messed up. And so, man, I'm, I'm just going to own it. And you're just running. And you're just doing your thing. And, and you want to come home. You, you want to take your steps to the Father. But you're just thinking, man, I can't. I'm, I'm too far gone. I hope you know that's not true. I hope you know that we have a God who pursues us into the darkest places. And it's just exhausting. It's exhausting. And so um, my prayer for us tonight is that we just be a people who, you know, wherever we are, I mean, we just bring our sin to the Lord and just confess. And just say, Lord, I, I want to walk in light of the forgiveness that you're offering. Because we have a God who has the authority to forgive sins. That all of our guilt, all of our shame, be replaced with joy and freedom and life, knowing that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see you as wicked or rebellious. He sees you as a son and a daughter because of what Christ has done for you. He sees you as holy and spotless and whims. I hope that's clear tonight. The last thing I want is anyone to leave this room with any sort of sense of guilt or shame or any sort of weight because of sin, because it's been paid for. That debt has already been paid for. And let's walk in light of that freedom. So let's just be people who just take some time and just bring our sin before the Lord and just confess to him. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful um, for the truth of your word. are a God who forgives. That no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, um, no matter how dark our week may have been, that you bring forgiveness. I hope that's a truth that, that penetrates our hearts and isn't normal, that doesn't get stale. Lord, for those of us in this room who feel the weight of sin just feel the weight of guilt and shame Lord will you take that tonight will we walk in light of the freedom that you have given us because you are a God who forgives that you pay the debt we can never pay Lord we love you we thank you It's something we pray